All right, Don, I'm ready. You want me to take the opening, huh? It's a two-fisted, quick-triggered marksman who shoots from the hip and never misses. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another trifecta of amazing Jack Benny shows. We start with essentially a repeat from the 1947 season that we played before for you. At this point in Jack Benny's career, the writers were starting to focus more on the television show and a little less on the radio show, so you would run into more repeat performances. So if you feel like you've heard this before recently, you kind of have. Uh, there might be a few new jokes in here. When I was listening to it, it sounded pretty close to what we'd played a few months ago, I think from the 1947 season, if I remember correctly. Anyway, I hope you'll enjoy that episode. Following that, we have a Phil Harris episode where... We have a missing Julius Abruzio, and uh, I don't know how concerned, I would assume not very, <laughs> Phil and, of course, Elliot Lewis, uh, playing the Remley character, would be uh, with losing Julius Abruzio. But what I think is really interesting about this episode is that the very, very beginning of the episode, before the episode even starts, you hear Phil do a little bit of a joke about Nipper and I thought I'd better fill you in on Nipper and who Nipper is. Now, Nipper was a dog, a real dog, in 1880, 1884. And uh, it was born, and it, uh, Nipper died in 1895. So it lived for about a decade. And after Nipper died, about three years later, his current owner, he was the brother of the original owner of the dog, uh, his current owner, uh, his last owner, I, said, I guess you would say, after Nipper passed away, decided to create a painting of Nipper. And the painting he created was of Nipper sitting in front of a Victrola with his head cocked slightly, and that became a famous painting. He tried to, to sell it to different... Um, radio companies and so forth, and no one wanted to buy it. And then finally, when he went to buy a, um, to replace uh, the horn section of that, the player that you see in the picture, he, they said that they would, he could get a new one, and if they, if he bought a new one, a whole new Victrola, basically, that they would buy his painting, which they did, and they started using it for their company. Well, then their company got bought by a bigger company, and eventually it became uh, the symbol for RCA. Uh, and to this day, it's still the symbol, and uh, there are Nipper uh, pictures all over the world. It's a very famous one. I will, uh, on this podcast, if you come to my website, buckbenny.com, I will post a uh, on this uh, particular podcast, I'll post a picture of that exact painting that looks 
more like a photograph than a painting, but it's really a painting. Uh, it's done three years, like I say, three years after Nipper was gone. So it's uh, pretty interesting. And they've had, and then they've acted like um, Nipper had a puppy or a brother, I'm not sure, and it's named Chipper. And so you, you see Nipper and Chipper around sometimes. I think Chipper came along in 1991. Um, but they've had to replace Chipper a lot of times because... Chipper needs to be a little puppy, and so they have to constantly uh, cycle in new puppies, I guess, to replace their puppy that is Chipper. So um, they always have, I guess, a real nipper and a real chipper that um, used to symbolize the company. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. I thought that would help you understand the joke. I'm sure you know um, nipper and, and can realize once I tell you about it that you're thinking, oh yeah, that dog. Anyway, the other piece of it that I suppose you need to understand is uh, the slogan that went with it was uh, something about listening to your master, like a dog should listen to his master, and, and Phil makes a little play on those words, so you'll have to listen into Phil's show to hear that. And then our third show of the night is going to be a, another a monumental show for Phil, in that Phil becomes a father. In real life, Phil became a father at this point. So for Phil, this is such an interesting year with Phil, and I'll talk about it more on the intro to that show that I did five years ago, but basically, in 1937, Phil becomes a member of the Jack Benny cast in the 36-37 season. Five years later, he has uh, a child with, um, of course, his wonderful wife, Alice Faye, and then five years after that, he gets his own radio show. And then five years after that, he uh, is his final season on the Jack Benny show. So because we air all of our shows in five-year increments, it hits that we hit all of those milestones for Phil Harris. So this really is the year of Phil Harris. Anyway, I hope you're going to enjoy all of tonight's episodes. And uh, we shall see you next time. You might want to tune in tomorrow night. We'll be bringing you a special show we've never brought to you before, and it's going to be commemorating Charles Lindbergh's transatlantic flight, and it should be fun. It's the 90th anniversary tomorrow, I believe, of the uh, transatlantic flight of Charles Lindbergh, so you might want to tune into that. Anyway, without further ado, here we have the Jack Benny Show with Phil Harris and the whole gang, and Jack, too. <laughs> See you next time. The Jack Benny Program, transcribed, presented by Lucky Strike. Do you do that, do that, do that, do you do that, do that, be happy, go lucky, be happy, get better taste, be happy, go lucky, get better taste today. Friends, while cigarettes may look the same on the outside, there's an important inside difference in Lucky Strike. An inside difference that proves Luckies are made better to taste better. And it's easy to prove this to yourself. Just tear and compare. From a newly opened pack, take a cigarette made by any other manufacturer. Then carefully tear a thin strip of paper straight down the seam from end to end and gently remove the tobacco. In tearing, be careful not to disturb or loosen the tobacco. Now, in exactly the same way, remove the paper from a Lucky Strike. Then compare. Some cigarettes are so loosely packed they fall apart. 
Others have air spaces that burn too fast, taste hot and harsh and dry. But look at that Lucky. See how it stays together, a perfect cylinder of fine, mild tobacco. See how round and firm and fully packed it is with long strands of fresh, clean, good-tasting tobacco. Because Luckies are made this way, they draw freely, smoke smoothly and evenly, taste fresh, clean, and mild. So tear and compare. Prove to yourself that Luckies are made better to taste better. Then make your next carton Lucky Strike. The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and the Sports from Quartet, and yours truly, Don Brooks. Ladies and gentlemen, just recently, Jack Benny received one of the Sylvania Pioneer Awards for his contribution to the history of radio. So tonight, in keeping with this honor, I feel that I should give Jack a dignified introduction. Well, thank you, Don. It's times like these I wish I were a poet. What a beautiful thought, Don. I can just imagine you a poet. Henry Wadsworth Fatfellow. <laughs> don't let me interrupt you. Go on, Don. Yes, folks, if I had the gift of poetry with which to describe our scintillating star, I... Hmm, I'll get it, Don. Hello? Hello, Mr. Benny, this is Rochester. Rochester, you certainly picked a fine time to call. Why aren't you listening to the program? That's why I called, boss. There's something wrong with our radio. Oh, well, maybe there's a break in the electric cord. I thought of that, boss, so I traced it. I started at the radio, went around the baseboard, up the wall, out the window, across the driveway, through the hedge, and right to the plug on Mr. Coleman's back porch. <laughs> well, Rochester, I hope nobody saw you. Well, just as I reached the porch, Mrs. Coleman came out. So I ducked behind the hedge and meowed like a cat. Did you fool her? I think so. She left two saucers of milk. <laughs> two? Yeah, one of them had a note on it. This one's for Mr. Benny. <laughs> Good, I'll have it when I get home. I don't know what to do. I hate to miss your program. Well, I've got an idea, Rochester. I'll leave the receiver off the hook, and you'll be able to hear the whole show over the telephone. Yes, sir. Okay, Don, let's get on with the program. Ladies and gentlemen, as I was saying... Even though I'm not a poet, today I'd like to introduce our star with a little poem. A poem? Yes. To Jack Benny. I love my boss, but he's so cheap, he only spends a slow buck. What a line, slow buck. His suits are from Montgomery Ward, his hair from Sears and Roebuck. <laughs> and here he is, Jack Benny. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking. Hmm, hair from Sears Roebuck. <laughs> As a matter of fact, Don, I have a poem about you, too. Oh, about me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know too much about poetry, but here's one I stole from Johnny Ray. This is to you, Don. When your boss writes you a letter of goodbye, you'll feel better if you let your stomach down and cry. <laughs> 
Remember that. Hey, Jackson, if you really want to get... Some... Wait a minute, Phil, wait a minute. I want to see what Rochester thought of that joke. Hello? 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 Rochester, hello? Hello? Rochester, I just told a joke. Where were you? I had to answer the door. The mailman was just here and he delivered a package. A package? Who from? Sears Roebuck. You can be a blonde again. <laughs> Good, good. That's the one that makes me look like Nelson Eddy. Uh, keep listening to the show, Rochester. Now, Phil, what were you talking about? Well, I was just going to say, Jackson, now about doing something different on the show tonight. Something entertaining, like, uh, well, like getting Livy and me to sing a song together. Hey, that sounds like a pretty good idea. You'll sing with Phil, won't you, Mary? No, thanks. I sang with Phil before. No matter what song he sings, it always comes out, that's what I like about the South. <laughs> All right, Livy, you don't have to sing with me. I just thought that you and I'd make a nice trio. Trio? You and Mary would make a nice trio? Yeah. Look, Phil, let me explain something to you. One is a solo, two is a duet. Now, if you add a third person, you've got a trio. Oh. And if you add a fourth person, you have a quartet. Uh-huh. Now, Phil, if you had four people and you found a fifth, what would you have? me that lead again, will you, Buster? <laughs> All right, if you had four people and found a fifth, what would you have? A quintet fooled you that time, didn't I? <laughs> Why, Phil, that's right. You're right. If you had a fifth, you'd have a quintet. Yeah, but they'd all be loaded. <laughs> I knew it couldn't last. <laughs> what are you laughing at, Mary? The way his arranger has to write the music so Phil can read it? No, how? An eighth note is a diamond, a quarter note is a heart, a half note a club, and a whole note a spade. Phil, you have your music written out in diamonds, hearts, clubs, and spades? Certainly. <laughs> well, how do you read it? It's simple. Here, I'll show you. Now, look at this sheet of music. See? Well, that makes no sense at all to me. Sure it does, Jackson. Take this bar, for instance. You see these notes right here, one right after the other? Oh, you mean the scale? Scale, what's that? <laughs> Phil, if you want to play your music according to Hoyle, that's all right with me. But right now we have to have a song. Oh, Dennis! Dennis! <sighs> Dennis, what are you yawning about? I didn't get any sleep last night. My mother and father had a big argument. An argument? Yeah, it was all about you. My mother said you were a jerk. <laughs> Hmm. And then my father got up and said you were a great guy and a fine example of a man. Your father said that? May he rest in peace. <laughs> now, stop being silly. Your father's sitting right out here in the audience. Yeah, doesn't he look awful? <laughs> Cut that out. Uh, Dennis, why does your mother dislike Jack so much? Well, she used to go with Mr. Benny before she met my father. Oh, she did not. She says she did. Maybe. What was your mother's name before she married your father? I didn't know her then. <laughs> of course you did. Now, come on, kid. Let's have your song. Okay. Oh, may the tree, oh, may the rain. 
Bigger Than You and Me, sung by Dennis Day. Or you and I, rather. I gotta stay away from Phil. <laughs> <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, for our feature attraction oh, tonight... Oh, wait a minute, Jack. Uh, are we gonna do a sketch tonight? Yes, Mary. A couple of weeks ago, I saw the, uh, that Universal International picture, Ma and Pa Kettle at the fair. And it gave me an idea. So I went home and wrote a play about life on a farm. Now, I play the young husband, and Mary, you're my wife. See, we're newlyweds and have just bought a farm. We have some neighbors that are very much like Ma and Pa Kettle. And oh, also... just a minute, Jack. Is there a part in it for me? Well, Don, the scene takes place on a farm, so you can play the part of our horse. <laughs> oh, Jack, every time you do a farm sketch, I play the part of a horse. I want to do something else. Well, what would you like to be, Don? A canary. Don, you a canary? Beep, 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 beep. Well, that's not so bad. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for our feature attraction tonight, we will present a rustic play entitled Down on the Farm. Set the scene, Don. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our play, Down on the Farm, an epic of rural life. As the scene opens, 
we find the newlyweds, Sylvia and Danny Klingenpeel, driving out to their new home. Gee, Sylvia, I hope you like the new farmhouse I bought. Oh, I know I will, Mr. Klingenpeel. You can call me Danny. We've been married a week now. <laughs> well, here we are. Look, darling, there's our new home. And there's a man from the real estate office. Oh, mister, mister. How do you do? <laughs> a stranger. I'm, um, uh, I'm the new owner of this house. Your name is Frank Nelson, isn't it? It was Frank, but I changed it to Ike. I want people to like me. I see. Uh, this house looks like there's been a lot of work done on it recently. Yes, we completely remodeled it from the basement to the ceiling. Good, good. Will you show us through the house? Yes, but don't expect me to play the piano. <laughs> Let's go inside. Come on, honey. All right. I'm talking to my wife. <laughs> oh, I thought everybody liked me. Look, we want to see the house. Will you take us through, please? You follow me. This is the living room. Uh-huh. This is the dining room. Uh-huh. This is the breakfast room. And this is the guest room. Guest room? How do you do? How do you... <laughs> What was that? He's been a guest here through five owners. Five owners? Yes, he spent half the time in escrow. <laughs> oh. Uh, mister, uh, mister, I'd like to see the kitchen. Right through this door. There, isn't it a beauty? Well, I don't know. The stove looks very old and awfully dirty. Oh, oh, Sylvia, that's just a little dust. I'll blow it off. Hmm. Mister, have you tried Sen Sen? <laughs> Never mind. Well, it's getting kind of late. I better go. Uh, goodbye, Mr. Nelson. Goodbye. Well, darling, here we are in our own little home. We better start getting to sleep on a farm, you know. You have to get up at four in the morning. You're right, sweetheart. Good night. Good night. <laughs> darling. <laughs> darling. Darling, you're snoring. No, no, that's the rooster. It's morning. Oh, oh. Well, you hurry and get breakfast ready. I'll go out and milk the cows. Good thing I slept in my clothes. <laughs> my, it's pitch dark this early in the morning. 
Now, where's the milking pail? Ah, here it is. Easy, bossy, easy. That's a good girl, bossy. <laughs> easy, bossy, easy. Gee, I can't seem to find... Uh-oh, wrong end. <laughs> Oh, here we are. See, that cow looks like the rooster. <laughs> now, bossy, hold still while I fix the pail and stool. There. That's a good cow. Oh, la, 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 la. Oh, la, 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 la. chain. Oh, Danny, are you through milking? I'm not, but I think the cow is. <laughs> hey, Sylvia, what are you holding? Look, I just found it. It's a black kitten with a white stripe down its back. Well, shucks, if that isn't the cutest little... Kitty, have you tried Sen Sen? <laughs> <laughs> now, Sylvia, don't stand around. We gotta feed the animals. Okay. Beep, 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 beep. Oh, look, Danny, isn't it cute the way our canary follows us around? Yeah. Now, shoo, canary, shoo. We gotta feed the chickens. Here, chick, 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 chick. Come on, chick, chick, here's some corn for you. Oh, Danny, look at the hen sitting on the nest. Where? Oh, yeah. Now we've got breakfast. Well, I better get some oats for the horse, hay for the cow, and, uh... <laughs> what happened? Our canary stepped on the horse and killed it. <laughs> Mary, that line is, our canary stepped on the pig and killed it. <laughs> As an imitation of a pig, Mary says it stands out on the cow and kills it. He can't help it. He looks like everybody. Canary stepped oh, all right. on the uh, Our canary stepped on the pig and killed it. Gee, that's too bad. <laughs> Sylvia, maybe the canary is hungry. He can't be. A little while ago, I gave him a side of beef. <laughs> Give him the other side. Now, let's get on with the... Oh, look, here comes someone. Hello? Howdy, neighbors, howdy. 
Deke Harris is my name. I live right over the hill. Well, do you do you have a farm over there? Yep, I raise a little of this, a little of that. Mostly corn. <laughs> For your pigs? Nope, from a still. Oh, you have a still? Yep, it'll make 20 gallons a day. 20 gallons a day? Well, that isn't much. Ain't bad. My old lady don't drink. <laughs> moved in here, Zeke. How long have you been living around this section? Well, now, let me see. I, uh, I moved here in 1918, and this is 1952. That's, uh, 20 years. <laughs> Wait a minute, Zeke. From 1918 to now is 34 years you've lived here. Well, we don't count the 14 years of prohibition as living. <laughs> oh, you got any children? Yep, I got two boys. We ain't seen them since they run away with the circus 10 years ago. Sure missed the ball. <laughs> oh, it's a shame both of them left Maybe one of them will come back Oh, nope, ain't likely They're Siamese twins <laughs> Oh, twins, eh? Yep, they're pretty attached to each other <laughs> Oh, Zeke, you may not have a cow But you sure milked that one <laughs> By the way, Zeke, is that field over there? Yep, part of your farm? Yeah, that's the place where I raised my tobacco uh, Them are my hired hands out there picking it where? Right over there. Reuben, Reuben, we've been thinking what a fine job we have here. Growing all this fine tobacco for those luckies every year. We know all about those luckies. They're the best we do declare. You will find them made much better if you care and then compare. Reuben, Reuben, is it true? Have you been to the county fair? Did you see those burlesque dancers? Did you stare and then compare? Country folks enjoy a lucky. It's a smoke they recommend. Around and firm and better tasting, fully packed with no loose ends. Everybody's smoking luckies, Ma and Pa and Grandpa too. Mail here in the country stamped with letters RFD. But the letters we all look for fair and LSMFT. LSLSMFT, it's LSLSMFT. Let's be happy and go lucky. That's the cigarette for me. Be happy, go lucky, strike. Say, Zeke, your farm hands are pretty good. Yep, they sing all the time. Hiya, neighbors. Howdy, Zeke. Good to see you all. Well, hello. Uh, uh... Mo Kettle is the name. Live right down the road. Which house? No house, just down the road. <laughs> uh, no house? Yep, she's married to Paul Kettle, the laziest man in the state. Yep, you just can't make him move. One day, he sat on an acorn. Twenty years later, we had to get him down out of the tree. No kidding. Well, what do you know? Here comes Paul Kettle now, the lazy critter. Name is Dennis, but folks call him Paul. Howdy, Paul. Oh, hi, Zeke. Hi, folks. Ma, put your arms around me and squeeze me. I feel like exhaling. Yeah. <laughs> 
That feels better. Any place to lie down around here? <laughs> oh, Paul, stand up for a while. Oh, by the way, what are you folks are figuring on raising here? The chickens. I wouldn't try it if I were you. Tried to raise some myself a few years ago and never had any luck. What happened? Bought ten hens. They laid a lot of eggs, but none of them never did hatch. How many roosters did you have? Oh, roosters. <laughs> hmm. Well, I guess I better be going along now. Got to go home and help my pig write a letter. Your pig writes letters? Oh, I just give him the paper. He already has the pen and oink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pa Kettle, you may be a hick, but... Why don't you finish? Too lazy. <laughs> well, look, my wife and I are just going in to have breakfast. Why don't you folks come in and join us? Well, that's okay with me. Well, me too. Pick me up, Ma. <laughs> well, come on. Let's all go in and eat. Come on in, folks. Breakfast is on me. On you? Yes, we haven't got a table. <laughs> oh, Sylvie, you've only been on the farm one day. You've got corn all over you. <laughs> Everybody, let's see. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to solicit your help for the victims of muscular dystrophy. There are over 200,000 victims. Three-fourths of this number are males, and two-thirds of these males are boys under 18. It is commonplace that when the cause of a disease is found, the cure usually follows. So won't you please contribute as much as you can? Send your contributions to MDA, Los Angeles, 19, California. Thank you. Jack will be back in just a moment. But first... Do you do da do da do da do you do da do da Be happy, go lucky, get better taste today. Friends, people everywhere are tearing and comparing, seeing for themselves that luckies are made better to taste better. Try it yourself. From a newly opened pack, take a cigarette made by any other manufacturer and carefully remove the paper by tearing down the seam from end to end. Don't dig into or crumble the tobacco. Now, do exactly the same with a lucky strike. Then compare. Some cigarettes are so loosely packed they fall apart. Some have air spaces, hot spots that burn harsh and dry. Others have too many broken bits of tobacco, giving you those annoying loose ends that spoil the taste. But just look at that Lucky, a perfect cylinder of fine, mild tobacco, so round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. Notice those long strands of fresh, clean, good-tasting tobacco. Yes, Luckies are made better to taste better, to give you far more enjoyment from every puff. So for your own real deep-down smoking enjoyment, be happy, go Lucky. Make your next carton Lucky Strike. Do you do that to daddy? Be happy, go lucky, go lucky strike today. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes the 36th program of our present series. And next week we will... Oh, my goodness, Rochester still on the phone. I wonder how he liked the show. Oh, Rochester! Rochester, how'd you like the program? Well, well... How'd you like it? Boss in the sketch, what did that chicken do? She laid an egg. Need I say more? 
Jack Benny program is brought to you by Lucky Strike, product of the American Tobacco Company, America's leading manufacturer of cigarettes. Tonight's program was transcribed. This is the CBS Radio Network. Here, Nipper. Nipper, come here, boy. Over here. Speak. Louder. That's a good dog. Now sit down and listen to your master's voice. RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, and first in television, presents the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. Your enjoyment, here is the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Ann Whitfield, Walter Scharf and his music, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. Today, Julius disappears mysteriously, and Alice makes Phil and Frankie search for the kid. They find him in a highly unlikely place, and in a most unusual condition. But more about that in a moment. First, this word from RCA Victor. You'll find everything you want in a television set in a super set by RCA Victor. See and compare for yourself. Discover, as millions have, the all-round quality of RCA Victor television. For example, ask your dealer to show you the new 17-inch Glenside Ensemble. The Glenside is a distinctively styled table model with a matching consulate base. It's television with picture power. You'll get clearer, stronger, steadier pictures. The best reception possible in the city or country. The Glenside Ensemble is low price, too. Only $279.95. And that price is complete. It includes federal excise tax and full-year warranty on the 17-inch picture tube. Buy the Glenside Ensemble tomorrow. And remember, for the best installation and service, buy one of RCA Victor's factory service contracts. Ask your dealer for details when you choose your RCA Victor Super Set. And now the stars of the RCA Victor program, Alice Faye and Phil Harris. Last week, Phil and Frankie moved to their summer home, the Hollywood Park Racetrack. <laughs> they've been there every day since the track opened, but their luck hasn't been very good and they've lost everything. Now, having run out of ammunition, they've come back to town to reload. <laughs> Remley, I don't know if I ought to take any more money out of the bank. I've been taking it out all week. Well, just a little more isn't going to hurt, Curly. Well, give us a chance to recoup our losses. Now, just stop arguing and get the money. All right. I hate to do this, but I guess taking a little more couldn't do... Remley, we can't get any more money out of here. Why not? My kids plugged up the hole in their piggy bank <laughs> I wonder why they plugged it up I guess they don't trust their mother <laughs> Curly, don't you have any money left at all? Look in your pocket All I have in my pocket is this old Indian head penny I can't bear to part with this You see, granddaddy's picture is on it <laughs> Well, it's like we'll have to borrow it from somebody else does your wife have a piggy bank? Don't be silly. Alice don't have no piggy bank. She keeps her money in an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> 
Life size. You should be able to borrow it from somebody. Hey, how about your brother-in-law, Willie? You mean old glue pockets? <laughs> he wouldn't lend me a nickel. He might if you would approach him nicely. Instead of insulting him like you always do, butter him up a little. For him, butter's too expensive. <laughs> I'll use chicken fat. <laughs> oh, never mind. Let me handle him. I'll lay it on good. Then you better get ready, Buster. Here he comes. Good morning, fellows. Ah, <laughs> uh, tis William, sweet William, the flower of American manhood. <laughs> A prince among men and a gem of gems. What's the matter, Francis? Have you got a snoot full? <laughs> oh, what a wonderful wit. Curly, you are indeed fortunate to be blessed with an in-law such as this. Do you realize how lucky you are? It wasn't luck. I planned it this way. <laughs> By the day Alice asked me to marry her, I said no. <laughs> and then suddenly I saw William standing in the doorway And I knew I just had to have him as a brother-in-law <laughs> why, why, Philip, what brought this on? You, you never told me you liked me I didn't Oh, I thought everybody knew why I've told every little star Just how sweet I think you are Oh, why haven't I told you? I've told the ripples in the brook Curly, you can Make stop my... now I gotta record that sometime <laughs> Just, uh, what are you after, Philip? Curly, I told you William was too smart to be taken in by your blatant flattery. <laughs> Willie, I'll come right to the point. Would you be willing to contribute $20 to preserve a bit of Americana? Certainly. Well, you know I'm interested in preserving American tradition. Uh, just, uh, what are you planning to do? We're going to build a home for the great American statesman, Eddie R. Carroll. <laughs> I don't believe I ever heard of a statesman named Arcaro. You didn't? Did you ever hear of Churchill? Oh, yes. Well, Arcaro is to America what Churchill is to Downs. <laughs> oh. Well, what kind of a home are you going to build him? A hacienda in Hylia. <laughs> it's going to be a cute little vine-covered cottage With a tote board over the fireplace And dozens of little two-dollar windows And the roof will be made Philip, of Philip, are you using Tuftum vernacular? No, we're using wooden shingles <laughs> Vernaculars leak when it rains You can stop it I know you want the money to bet on the races And you're not going to get it from me Goodbye But William, I... I... Oh There goes a nice boy Yeah, he has all the charm of an impacted tooth <laughs> I told you, Remley, we wasn't going to get no money from him Now I guess we just can't go to the racetrack Oh, Curly, don't say that I had my heart set on going And if I don't, I'll just be miserable all day Well, I... I'll just... Oh, hello, Frankie, I didn't know... Oh, what's the matter with you? You look like you're wearing wet socks 
<laughs> oh, I'm unhappy because I haven't got any money to bet on the... Alice, how would you like to make an investment? Well, what kind of an investment? How would you like to invest $20 and get $6,000 back? <laughs> no, thanks. I'm... Six thousand? She froze in midair like a pointer spot in a covey of quail. <laughs> Sounds like a wonderful investment, Frankie. What is it? Well, my friend Grogan has a horse running at Hollywood Park this afternoon. I've heard enough. Hear me out. This nag is 300 to one and it's a cinch to win. Well, if the horse is 300 to one, what makes you think he's going to win? He's the favorite. <laughs> he be the favorite at 300 to 1? He's the only horse in the race with four legs. <laughs> Grogan takes no chances. Neither does Faye. You can count me out. I'm not giving you any money to bet on the horses. But Alice... Now, Curly, let me handle it. Uh, Alice, mm -hmm. will you sing for us? Oh, I'd be glad to. That'll be $20, please. <laughs> well, what for? Well, you don't think we're going to listen to you for nothing, do you? <laughs> That I'm not going to sing And you're not getting any money Oh, look, Alice All we want is 20 That must be Julius With the groceries Come in Hey, Curly Maybe we can get the money From Julius Well, it's worth a try Let me do the talking Anybody home? I've drunk the groceries <laughs> Remley, what do you suppose this is? It's too big for Julius yeah, unless the little ape has grown up into a big ape. Uh, who are you, anyway? I'm Julius's parents. Which one? <laughs> I'm his father. You see, Julius is my son. That makes me his father. Explains things nicely, don't he? <laughs> I'm making deliveries for Julius. Oh, that's nice, Mr. Grugio. Did you bring everything? I bring what you ordered. <laughs> a pound of liverish. <laughs> a lump of pumpernickel. <laughs> three pounds of butter. And four filet mignons. You people must be lousy with money. <laughs> Where do you want me to put this stuff? Put it on the kitchen table. <laughs> So you're the paternal parent of Julius, huh? No, I'm his father. <laughs> you see, Julius is my son. That makes me the... Look, I explained this once. <laughs> What's the matter, you stupid or something? <laughs> you know, Mr. Bruzio, I feel a little sorry for you being Julius's father. Why? You don't hate? <laughs> I've been his father all his life, and I got used to it. In fact, I'm proud of this boy. Why? Well, because he's, uh, he's, uh, he's got, uh, I don't know. Pay no attention to them, Mr. Abruzio. Julius is a very nice boy. You know, someday I'd like to meet Mrs. Abruzio. Julius ain't married? <laughs> I mean your wife. Oh, her. Well, she don't feel like meeting nobody right now. You see, she's a very unhappy woman. Really? Yeah. I can't understand that. With you as her husband, 
and Junius is her son. What in the world she's got to be unhappy about? Well, she's unhappy because Julius is missing. He ain't been home for three days. Huh? Oh, gosh, Mr. Bruzio, I'm sorry to hear that. What do you suppose happened to him? Well, I don't know. But after the things he's told me about some of his customers, I suspect foul play. <laughs> oh, that's ridiculous. His customers are very nice people. Uh, by the way, did Julius ever tell you about me? I don't know. Who are you? <laughs> I'm Phil Harris. Oh, the no-talent monster. <laughs> he told me all about you and your best friend. Oh, you mean Frankie Remley? I only know him as the vampire bat. <laughs> what have you two fiends done with my boy? Now, wait a minute, we ain't done nothing with I don't him. believe you. And I'm warning you, if you don't bring my boy back, I'm going to the police. But Mr. Abruzio... I'll give you just 24 years to retain him or I'll tell the cops. Come on. Goodbye. Imagine that guy. <laughs> what nerve. Accusing us of doing away with Julius. Oh, What's a... Now, he's upset, Phil. He didn't really mean that. You fellas may do silly things at times, but... I know you, and I'm sure you didn't do a thing like that. Did you? <laughs> of course not. We, we have no idea what happened to him. Oh, we haven't seen Julius since Wednesday. That's the day he got in our hair. We locked him in the den closet. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that was quite a gag, wasn't it, Curly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should have heard him scream trying to get out of there. I'll never forget... <laughs> Remley... <laughs> what? Did you ever let him out of that closet? <laughs> no, I thought you did Not me Maybe he's still in there You think we ought to look? No <laughs> We find him, it'll spoil our whole day Now stop talking nonsense If he was still in the closet, he would have made a racket And we would have heard him no, I want you two to go out and help look for him. But, Alice, we don't... You heard me. Go ahead, both all of you. All right, all right. We'll look, we'll look. Come on, Remley. Right. What do you think we ought to look for that kid? The playground, the public library, or the city pound? How about the Follies Burlesque? <laughs> yeah, that's a good-looking place. <laughs> <laughs> we could go in that... No... Hmm? No, I can't do it Alice told us to find Julius And we're not going to a burlesque show But Curly, I hear there's a girl singer down there Who's excellent I said we're not going Now, if you want to hear somebody sing I'll sing for you Curly, it's not the same I'll make it the same <laughs> It'll be exactly the same Because while I'm singing I'll shake it up a little bit <laughs> And for you, I might even drop a shoulder strap. <laughs> Bill Jackson was a poor old dub who joined the Darktown Poker Club and cursed the day, told him he would join. Oh, that money used to go like it had wings. If he owed queen someone at kings, and each night he would contribute all that coin. Said I'm gonna play him tight tonight to be no bobtail pleasures make me bite. He said, when I get in there, said my hands will be a peach. 
Laid him tight and lost his pile And Bill got peevish after a while So he rose, looked all around and made this speech Did you all see this razor? I had it sharpened just a day Now I'm coming in with my rules I want you to follow when you play boy Keep your hands up on the table while you dealin', please Don't be running them wildies in between your knees And don't be making them funny signs Like you're trying to tip off your hand Just talking American, boy American, so's I can understand And don't be getting them off the bottom Because, ooh, that's rough Take five, five, then stop, that's enough Now when you bet put up the chips I don't like it when you shy And if you get busted, go get something I'm gonna be here by and by Pass them cards and let me shuffle Every time before you deal Let me look them over Because I love to see You ain't gonna play this game according to no Mr. Hoyley. You gonna play this game according to me. Now sitting right there in that there clan, they chanced to be a one-eyed man. Bill kept watching him out of the corner of his eye. Oh, one-eyed dealing then, and cost that Bill another five or ten. Bill got up again, looked all around him with a sigh. He said, loud is an awful shame. Said, someone's cheating this year game. Said, cause uh, it ain't old dude for me to name the guy. Well, I'll refrain from mentioning the party's name. If I catch him cheating just once again, I'm gonna take his fist and close that other eye. Now, do you see that brand new razor? I had it sharpened just today. I'm coming in with my rules. You must follow when you play egghead. Keep your bony hands up there while you're giving them out, please. Don't be running them aces down there in between your knees. Stop making all them funny signs, because you're still trying to tip off your hand. You better talk an American boy, big A-A-A, so's I can understand. And quit getting them off the bottom. I'm trying to tell you it's rough. This is the Army game. Five, five, halt. That's enough. Now, when you bet, put up the reds and blues. I don't like it when you shy. And if you run out of gas, go get pumped up. I'm going to be here by and by. Pass them pasteboard and let me riffle every time before you deal. Let me irrigate around with them, because I want to see... I keep on telling you, you ain't gonna play this game according to Mr. Hoyley. You're gonna play this game according to me. Now, Henry, if you'll break the seal on that new deck of bicycles, we'll get on from here. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I hope they find Julius. I'm worried about him. wonder where he could be all this... Is it possible he's still in the closet? Oh, no, that's ridiculous. But maybe I'd better look. I feel silly doing this, but it will ease my mind. Hi, Miss Faith! (laughs) Julius, have you been in there for three days? Of course not. I sneaked in the back door a little while ago to talk to you. When I heard my old man come in, I hid in this closet so he wouldn't see me. Well, why don't you want him to see you? He's worried about you. Where have you been? I've been hiding out. I'm in trouble. Last week, I stole a skeleton from the biology class in school. A skeleton? Why did you do that? For a gag. I put a dress on it and introduced it to Mr. Remley. (laughs) What for? Well, I heard he'd go out with anything, and I wanted to find out if he was... Oh, Julius, that's ridiculous. Even Frankie wouldn't go for that. Then how come he made a date with her for tomorrow night? (laughs) Oh, stop it. He thinks Dorothy's beautiful. Now, Julius, please, that's enough. You'd better go home. Your father thinks something happened to you, and he's worried about you. In fact, I sent Mr. Harris and Mr. Remley out to look for you. Oh, you picked a good posse. (laughs) 
that, Julius. That's not nice. They're out looking for you high and low. Yeah, and the higher they get, the lower the places they look. <laughs> then I don't care what happens to me. Three days ago, they locked me in this closet and left me here. If I didn't have sharp teeth, I never could have picked the lock. <laughs> I heard about that, Julius, and I'm sorry. You know, they should be taught a lesson. You said it. For all they know, I might still be in this... Wait a minute. Do they know I'm not in the closet? Well, they didn't look. Well, then I know how to teach them a lesson. When they come back, you suggest that they look in the closet. But instead of me, they'll find that skeleton. What skeleton? Mr. Remley's girlfriend. <laughs> when they see the skeleton, they'll think that's all that's left of me. Oh, I get it. I'll go out and get the skeleton. Good. And in the meantime, I'll call your father and tell him you're all right. Miss Fay, I'm getting kind of tired of hiding behind this sofa. When are those guys going to come home? Oh, they'll be here soon. Do you have everything set up? Yeah, I got the skeleton standing up in the closet. But how did you get it to stand up? I propped it up with a fishing pole. This should scare the life out of them guys. Wonder what's taking them so long. Well, I told you. They're out looking for you, Julius. Do you think they're really looking for me? Well, of course they are. They've spent the whole afternoon looking everywhere for you. Well, the boys are probably all tired out. And... <gasps> Here they come. Duck. Oh, pretty girl. <laughs> like a melody. <laughs> hey, Revelling, you were so right. That girl had a wonderful voice. That kid is loaded with talent. Yeah, ain't she? I just loved it when she sang Powder my back for me <laughs> And you did it too <laughs> Well, I had to be a gentleman yeah. oh, Fellas, it's about time you got home Did you find him? Find who? <laughs> Julius Oh, Julius oh, You know something, honey? We looked everywhere. We can't find him anyplace. We looked all over. Yeah, we looked in the balcony, the mezzanine, the lodge. Frankie. <laughs> Curly even crawled up on the runway. Well, okay. <laughs> oh, fellas. Fellas, while you were gone, I had a terrible thought. Remember what you said about locking Julius in the closet? Suppose he's still in there. Oh, that's ridiculous. He couldn't be in there. I don't know. You'd better look. All right, all right. I think it's silly, but if it'll make you happy, I'll look in the closet. He ain't in there. Didn't you see anything in the closet? Just the usual things, a tennis racket, golf shoes, and a skinny guy fly casting. <laughs> what was that again, Curly? <laughs> I said all I saw was... Wait a minute. There's something wrong in there. What is it? I don't play tennis. <laughs> What's that tennis racket doing in there? Skinny guy fly casting doesn't bother you, huh? Oh, Curly just made that up. Oh, I did, huh? If you don't believe me, go look for yourself. All right, I'll look. Dorothy, what are you doing in Curly's... <laughs> I 
didn't see no dame in there when I looked. Frankie, that's not Dorothy. Don't tell me. I'd recognize her ghastly complexion, deep-set eyes, and silly grin anyplace. <laughs> oh, I gotta look again. Uh, pardon me, miss, but... Ramley! This ain't no dame in here. It's a skeleton. Oh, Phil, don't say that. Why not? Don't you realize that skeleton must be all that's left of little Julius? Oh, no. No. <laughs> hey, Remley, we locked that poor kid in the closet. Now look at him. He's just a pile of soup bones. <laughs> don't he look terrible? I don't think so. <laughs> he lost a little weight, but off him looks... <laughs> Frankie, how can you be so heartless with Julius in that condition? Alice is right. Julius is nothing but bones, and we're responsible. Now, don't say that, Curly. We didn't mean to harm the kid. It was just an accident. You think we ought to take him to the police? No. Let's give him to the dog. <laughs> Maybe you'll bury him. Phil, Phil, you can't do that. Why not? We don't have a dog. Oh. You'll have to bury him yourself. Take him out in the yard and bury him. Alice. Mm. I was only kidding. How can you be so callous? We can't... Now, do as I tell you. Bury the skeleton. But be careful where you dig. Don't mess up my petunia bed. Ooh, she's a fiend. <laughs> but a neat one. Let's carry this thing out and bury it. Okay. I'll take one arm. You take the other. We'll walk him out. Curly. What? I don't like the way these bones are rattling. <laughs> Me neither. If anybody hears this, we might get arrested for running a float and crap game. <laughs> Remley, I'm scared. This is the worst thing we've ever done. Oh, come now, Curly. Now, let's get him out in the yard. Julius, you can come out now. They're gone. <laughs> we sure got them scared. Yes, and I think they've learned their lesson. Maybe you'd better go out and tell them it was only a gag. Not yet. I got one more thing I want to do. I'm going to sneak up behind them in the dark and add the final touch. Oh, but Julius, you've already made nervous wrecks out of both of them. I ain't going to be happy until they're gibbering idiots. <laughs> Not to sneak up on them and unhinge their little minds. <laughs> this should prove very entertaining. Hey, Curly. What? Wish this kid had stopped rattling. Frankie, <laughs> I don't care what Alice said. I don't think we should bury Julius. Neither do I. I think we ought to take a skeleton to the police station. I don't want to go to the police station. Nobody asked you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you keep out of this. Curly, what'll we tell the cops? Well, we'll tell him he locked himself in the closet and he couldn't get out. Yeah, they ought to believe that. I don't think they will. Why not? Because I'm going to tell them the truth. Who's going to listen to you in your condition? You're nothing but a bunch of... Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Family's talking. I wondered when you'd notice that. Curly, he's haunting us. Julius, get away from us. Yeah, go down below where you belong. <laughs> Chef's waiting for you in the barbecue pit. <laughs> that bunch of bones ain't me, you jerks. I knew this skeleton couldn't be Julius. Of course.
last night. I'm alive. Well, you ain't gonna be for long. Come on, Remley. Drop that skeleton. Let's get him. Get all of them. Come on. Well, come on, Remley. Let's chase them. You chase them. I'm gonna stay here with Dorothy. <laughs> Were you hurt when we dropped you, dear? Will you come on? Alice and Phil will be back in just a moment. For music lovers everywhere, from RCA Victor comes another collector's masterpiece, another must for your record library. It's the complete recording of Puccini's Tosca, starring the brilliant Maria Cornelia and Benjamino Gigli, now available on RCA Victor 45 and long play Red Seal Records. Accompanied by the Royal Opera House Orchestra and Chorus of Rome, under the direction of Olivero de Febritis, Gigli's singing in Tosca has long been recognized as one of the greatest performances ever recorded. It was made when both Cornelia and Gigli were at the height of their vocal powers. And these artists capture and deliver all the impassioned beauty and vivid drama of Puccini's melody. No music lover will want to miss it. This complete opera is available now on both RCA Victor 45 and Long Play Records. See your RCA Victor dealer tomorrow. Ask for Puccini's Tosca, sung by Benjamino Gigli and Maria Cornelia, an RCA Victor Collector's Issue album. Only by facing the problem of cancer squarely can we hope someday to conquer it. And because anyone can develop cancer, because one out of every five Americans will develop it, Everyone must take an active part in the fight against it. So mail your generous contributions to cancer, care of your local post office. Thank you, and good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. Remember, whether you're buying a television set, a radio, a Victrola phonograph, or record, put your faith in the cornerstone of American home entertainment for three generations. RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in television. Next, Theater Guild on the Air presents Over 21 on NBC. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the Jack Benny Show from the 1941-1942 season. What an interesting season this has been with uh, so many shows about um, the war effort and with Jack entertaining the troops and everything. And it's just an interesting season overall with so much uh, of the season uh, dealing with Phil Harris and the fact that um, uh, Phil Harris, like I said at the beginning of the year, this is uh, the year of Phil Harris going through my whole podcast. And uh, <clears throat> to cap that off tonight, if this is the episode where Phil Harris and Alice Faye uh, gets announced that they uh, have a baby, which is really cool. And uh, it's it's interesting to, to see the progression here that that we happen to be playing episodes this season. It just happens that Phil's life goes in five year chunks pretty efficiently, and this is the uh, the year of those five year milestones for him. We have, of course, in the thirty six thirty seven year, his very first season on uh, Jack's show, and then we have in uh, five years later uh, the birth of his daughter. 
and all the talk about he and Alice together and all of that, so a different phase in his life. And then five years later, <clears throat> we have him getting his own show with Alice, and uh, the very first season of that show going on that we brought you. Uh, and then five years later than that, we have uh, Phil's last season on the Jack Benny show that we brought you this season, uh, from the 1960 season. And then also him being just really in his prime, in the zone, in his own show for the high quality shows that, that uh, his show was putting out in that season. So just kind of crazy how it all sort of falls together this year. There'll never be another year like this for Phil Harris, at least where we're showing all these unique milestones in his life. Um, and it just, all, <laughs> it just all happens to play out this way, which is really neat. Anyway, I wanted to say that, and then now I have some other news that I've been wanting to share, and I just want to jump in with this podcast and do it here. Uh, I had a uh, one of my listeners, and they asked me not to cover this too much, so I'm covering it very generally, so I think they'd be okay with it. Uh, one of my listeners said that they had a story that they had written, uh, about um, two different old-time radio um, shows and that they had combined them to have them kind of meet each other. And uh, I don't even want to go into which shows it is because I want to try and uh, preserve that confidentiality where I said I wouldn't talk about it. But but anyway, so they, so they asked if they could send me this, and I would give them my input on it. And I thought it was brilliant. It's just wonderful combining of the two shows. Fun, fun read. And I was trying to get a read for why, you know, the concern. And they were concerned that maybe this is breaking uh, copyright and, and maybe legal issues and that sort of thing. And I don't think, I think it's totally uh, not the case. Um... But in, in seeing this and getting excited about it and enjoying it, I started, uh, I, I knew that Bear Manor, uh, the publisher, put out a bunch of old-time radio uh, biographies and things like that. Um, certainly was some wonderful, a wonderful book on Jack Benny called Well that uh, has a bunch of basically articles in it about Jack. And uh, I've talked about that book before, but it's a fun book to read. And I can go into that if anybody wants me to go into that in another podcast. I can talk all about that book because it's a great book. Anyway, and then there's, uh, they have the book on Fibber McGee and Molly and World War II that's such an interesting uh, book about that. Um, and they have book after book after book. They have books on all the different voice characters. Um, Alan Reed's book, I'm looking about getting that because it's supposed to be great that they're putting out. Anyway, so I kind of went to their website and just kind of was looking around, I don't even know if I was really looking for a book on this, but I don't know, somehow I bumped into this, and I saw a book called It's It's That Time Again, The New Stories of Old Time Radio, and I thought, hmm, that sounds a lot like what this uh, listener sent me. So I just kind of read about it, and it was basically a book made up of short stories about 
lots and lots of different old-time radio shows and old-time radio characters. Fun read. Uh, I just got a hold of a copy of it, and I want to, well, before I do that, because some people won't want to listen to my reading of part of the book, <laughs> that, that I will just tell you about the fact that they sort of have a theme with these books. There's four of them. They're all called It's That Time Again. I will make a link to them so that you can uh, purchase at your will these books, and I'll tell you a little more about that in a second. But there are four books in the series so far. And the first one was published in 2002, I believe, so ten years ago. And now uh, each book kind of has a different focus to it. I think the one that the one that ties most in to the listener who sent me the story of combining two two different uh, franchises of radio, uh, th their story would fit in totally well, and personally, it would be the capstone <laughs> of this uh, of this book, uh, the, the, which is the third volume. The third volume is called. It says here it is the crossover volume. Everyone w wonder what might happen if. Jack Armstrong meets Tom Mix. The Whistler meets the Mysterious Traveler. Sherlock Holmes meets Raffles. John, Johnny Dollar goes into Duffy's Tavern. Jack Benny meets Richard Diamond. Captain Midnight meets the Sky King. Gunsmoke meets Have a Gun Will Travel. The Bickersons meet Fibber McGee and Molly. Mary Noble meets Lumen Abner. Just Plain Bill visits the Halls of Ivy. The Great Gildersleeve meets Honest Harold. Vic and Sade meet Aunt Fanny from Breakfast Club, and the Sea Hound meets the Scarlet Queen. Wow. Cool stuff. Um, the, so, so Volume 3 is all about, as you can tell, taking one franchise and having that bump into another franchise somehow. The fourth volume, which I don't have, is called Mysteries, and it's all, it, it, it again follows kind of the same format where you're having one group meet another group and I think Jack Benny's in that too so I think four would be very good as well uh, it's just it's all mystery based so it would be like um, and I don't know if this one's in there or not I'm just throwing it out there <clears throat> it would be like uh, I don't know suspense meets Jack Benny or uh, I love a mystery meets um, Gildersleeve that sort of thing, and so that's an interesting, uh, I would think that would be an interesting book as well. Um, <laughs> now, to bring out my Jack Benny qualities, the reason I have book one and book three, and not book two and book four, one is the subject matter, I, I, I like to start with the first book in a series anyway, and then the subject matter of the third book sounded really interesting, so I got that, but besides that, <laughs> the Jack Benny piece is, for some reason, book two and book four are very expensive. Book one and book three are very cheap. So, so that's what what's going on here. Book one, well, I think book one, uh, if I remember right, you can get for on Amazon for a penny. But of course, it costs you three ninety nine to get it shipped to you, so it's four bucks. Uh, book two, I think you can get for. I mean, not book two, book book three that I have you can get for like two dollars and something so it's ends up being a six dollar purchase you know six and a half uh to get shipped to you and all that but i think well well worth it at, at six dollars 
and fifty cents or whatever. Um, so I mean, both of them really enjoy each story is like some stories have the same author, but most stories have are by different authors. Each of the short stories. So if you don't like one, you might really like another. Um, just a, a really neat uh, set of books that they have. Now two and four, like I say, are way more expensive. They're like uh, fifteen dollars. I mean, the, the going price on these originally is like nineteen ninety five plus shipping, of course. Uh, certainly, I wouldn't buy the new version. I mean, I bought both of mine. I bought that said they were like new. I mean, weren't even like new. I think they just said good condition, and they both came and were beautiful. I mean. Pfft. I'll, I'll trash these things way more than they're trashed already. It's just me reading them myself, so so I don't need a perfect book. Uh, anyway, uh, but like I was saying, the other two are more expensive. But what's interesting is that book one and three, you have to buy the paper version. I mean, that's all there is, and that's fine, and they're cheap, and so that works out. Book four, book two and four, for some reason, have Kindle versions that you can get. And the Kindle versions are cheaper than the book versions. And I'm not sure if when you create a Kindle version, if sort of the people selling the book raise their price to be at the Kindle version level, or if they create Kindle versions of only books that are selling at a certain price because they figure then people might buy the Kindle version. I, I don't know how that's all decided because it seems really bizarre that a four book series you would have book uh, two and four be Kindleized. You would think you'd start with like book one, maybe, or you'd start with the most recent one, number four, and work your way backwards. But whatever. So um, if I end up really enjoying these as much as I am so far, I think I'll just buy the Kindle versions of the other two because the Kindle versions are like ten bucks, which is basically, like I say, cheaper than buying the pulp version of those books. So. I'll just do that and, and read them that way. But I, like I say, I would suggest book number three is a great place to start. Um, probably in that, uh, especially if you're a Benny fan, because I, Benny's not even featured in the first book. I think he's in the other three. He certainly is definitely in book three. So, anyway, having said all that, let me read you first a little piece that kind of clues you into why I think this is actually uh, legal to do, and that, um, what, that, that, that kind of tells you, hey, if you want to write a story about old-time radio characters, you're probably within the realm of, of legality, according to what these pu this publisher thinks, anyway. Okay, so it says... Um, during the great old days of radio, Jack Benny or Fred Allen was always doing a parody of some hit movie like Casablanca or The Postman Always Rings Twice. In an earlier century, Mark Twain was always found was always making a parody of, of familiar stories. Parody is a time-honored format and one protected by the United States Constitution. You may consider the stories in this book as a form of parody. You can get an obvious laugh from the interaction of the Bickersons with Fibber McGee and Molly as Barbara, Barbara Gratz recounts it, so she's the writer. It may seem less humorous with Steve, uh, when Steve Kalis has Captain Midnight go to the aid of Sky King. 
At first glance, it might even seem grim in Richard Lupoff's story of those two sinister figures, the Whistler and the Mysterious Traveler, putting their heads together for one of their ghostly and ghastly tales. Yet, even here is parody. Perhaps that is, uh, perhaps what is tenderly amusing is not the interaction of these famous characters from the, from the era of radio drama, now gone for several generations. The humor for those of us old enough to have been there is comparing ourselves of then to ourselves now. Today, I may not really believe Jack Armstrong could outrun any other player on any field or that Tom Mix could outdraw a speeding bullet. But the joke is on me. I would like to believe it still. It's that time again when you believe all these funny folks were that were that funny and all these brave folks were that brave when you can believe as I still want to believe that the straight shooters always win. And that was uh, the words of Jim Harmon from the editor's note in It's That Time Again, Volume 3, that you can have for six bucks or whatever it is. Now, for those of you who want to skip ahead, feel free. I'm going to read you the introduction. It's called, it says a word from our sponsor, from the very first volume. Uh, this is the very first bit that's written in the first volume from 2002 of It's That Time Again, the new stories of old-time radio. I really like this, and I'll stop it at some point, probably. Anyway, here we go. Radio is not dead. Not even dying. Old-time radio isn't even ill. The spirit of OTR lives on in ever-increasing audience numbers, in respect and in admiration. The fact that little fiction is being produced, for the wireless these days, in the United States anyway, does not take away from the power of this cult, if indeed cult is the right term. The economy is partly to blame. So is the evil glowing box called television, which does it all for you. Nothing left to the imagination there. But for those of us who still like to think while being entertained, we certainly miss the breadth of choice and material that made the 1930s and 1940s the golden age. We hanker for new adventures with our old heroes, hence this book. While I myself was not old enough to enjoy the magic that was live radio, I did get hooked on the sport from an early age, often frequenting Walden Books or any other bookshop, gift shop that dared to stock box sets of my beloved Bickerson's, Fibber McGee, or Duffy's Tavern. From there, my taste grew up and outward, and like many radio lovers gathered together in this book, I seized every opportunity to, opportunity to increase my collection, my knowledge, my mind's eye. As you are about to see, our favorite characters are not gone. Not only do they remain on a vast amount of cassettes, CDs, and reels, but they inhabit the fertile minds of many good people, fine writers and great collectors, who know more about old radio shows than, well, I don't know what. <laughs> and that is the point of what you now hold in your hands.
Now, remember, this is from 2002, and so they're not, they don't even mention podcasts. But I love the fact that this introduction says what I've always thought and pretty much knew, but it just kind of brings it home, that there are so many more listeners of old-time radio than there's probably ever been since old-time radio left the air. It's uh, the whole MP3, internet, um, certainly in here they talk about CDs, cassettes, all those things, but really it's, it's between MP3 and podcasting now has just sent out so much more. We have so many more listeners to, this, to these shows than ever before. I mean, how many of you out of all my listeners out there, if I wasn't podcasting, if you hadn't found my podcast or other podcasts like it, would you be listening to old-time radio? How many of my commuters that drive to work back and forth each day would be listening to some talk radio show or something, but now you get a chance to laugh and enjoy a Jack Benny or a Bing Crosby or all these wonderful shows, and um, I just think it's great. I think I'll stop there on reading it. Uh, if somebody wants me to continue reading the rest of this introduction, just email me, and I will follow it up on another podcast maybe next week's and read some more of it because it's a great introduction, and it just gets you excited about old-time radio and excited about reading these great stories. And so, um, anyway, I'll link, to, like I say, to the books, if you want to take the next step and you're going, wow, I love listening to these, but I'd love to read them too at night and or sometime or sitting in the doctor's office. And some of the stories, that some of the longer ones may be 30 or 40 pages, some of the shorter ones may be 10 or even 7 pages, just a quick story. Um, but it's, it's, it's just fun to spend time with these folks and maybe you'll find out about some new radio shows that you hadn't thought about and get into those. I don't know. Anyway. Thanks for giving me this chance for sharing this uh, different facet of our hobby that uh, I think folks may really enjoy, at least some of you. So uh, anyway, until next time, thanks so much for tuning in, as always, and we will be back again tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day because I love to do this and you guys seem to love listening to it, so we'll go from there. Bye-bye. The Jell-O program, coming to you from Camp Callan, California, presented by Jell-O and Jell-O Pudding, starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Dennis Day, Rochester, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens the program with The Real American. Jell-O, friends, is a word well-known to dessert lovers everywhere. It's a trademark, the property of General Foods, and the name of America's favorite gelatin dessert. For years, J-E-L-L-O has stood for Grand Dessert Flavor, and today those big red letters on the box mean more flavor than ever, because now, by means of a new Jell-O process, Jell-O's delightful goodness is made extra delicious. Nothing, you know, is more attractive than a big glistening mold of rich, radiant jello with its bright beauty and scintillating color. And you've never enjoyed anything more than you'll enjoy the swell, tangy flavor of jello. Flavor as lively and refreshing as the juicy ripe fruit itself, and locked in for your added pleasure. Prove to yourself that jello's flavor really is locked in. Open a package of jello. Notice that there's no telltale aroma, no sign of escaping flavor. Then dissolve the jello. 
And notice how Jell-O's captive flavor comes pouring out. Gloriously rich, thrillingly good. Get Jell-O tomorrow, friends, and enjoy its extra-rich, locked-in flavor. A real American played by the orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, from Camp Callan, California, we bring you a man who, in my opinion, is the greatest comedian in the world, which is also his opinion, Jack Benny. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Jalo again, this is Jack Benny talking, and Don. That was a very nice introduction, but you didn't have to make such a ham out of me. I'm a, I'm a great comedian. Let it go at that. Say. Well, Jack, you are a little hammy at times, but it's just my nature to be frank and outspoken. I see. Well, Don, one more introduction like that, and you're going to be outspoken on some other program. <laughs> so, uh, so watch it. Oh, for heaven's sake, Jack. What's the matter with you? Can't you take a rib? Only if it's got meat on it. <laughs> to, hear, to hear you talk, Don, we're the only two people alive who think I'm clever. Oh, I don't mean that you're not clever, Jack. All I say is, in this great big country of ours, there must be some people who don't like you. Hmm. The man is obviously out of his head. <laughs> <laughs> listen, Don. Now, listen, I want to ask you something. Would you say that these 1,200 soldiers sitting here are a typical cross-section of the American people? Why, yes, but what's that got to do with it? Just this. I'm going to prove to you that there isn't one guy in this audience that doesn't think I'm great. All right, fellas. Everybody here that likes me and hates the Japanese, raise your hand. <laughs> There you are, Don. They love me here. <laughs> Thanks, fellas. I appreciate your loyalty. Now, wait a minute, Jack. All that question proves is that these boys don't like the Japs. That's my analysis. Oh, you and your big fat analysis. <laughs> I, really, I, I never... I never saw such a stubborn guy. Here we are at Old Camp Callan. All right, boys, come on, start yelling. Now, Mary. <laughs> well, listen to that. Thank you, boys, from Livingston, Crestview 4, 6881. <laughs> Mary, what's the idea of shouting out your telephone number in front of all these fellas? The sharp ones will write it down. <laughs> I don't care, and you can put that silly poem away, too. I'll let you read it later. You better, or I'll tell everybody what happened when you were in swimming at La Jolla this morning. <laughs> I, just, I just took my usual plunge in the surf, that's all. <laughs> what happened in La Jolla, Mary? Well, Jack was out swimming when all of a sudden a big wave hit him, and he started yelling, help, help. Oh, quiet. So a lifeguard went out, grabbed him by the hair, and swam for shore. The lifeguard saved him, huh? Only his hair. Another guy had to go out for Benny. <laughs> Mary, 
Mary, it's nothing to joke about. I darn near got drowned. But, Jack, a fellow who can't swim too well shouldn't go so far out in the ocean. Oh, I'm a good swimmer, Don. This was uh, one of those silly accidents that could happen to anybody. What do you mean? Well, I was paddling along and... All of a sudden, my left foot got caught in the right sleeve of my bathing suit. <laughs> it was a terrible experience. Sleeves? Do you mean to say that it has sleeves? And that's another thing. Imagine being at a ritzy beach like La Jolla. Never mind. And wearing a bathing suit that says, Chew Plowboy on it. <laughs> oh, don't pay any attention to her, Don. Now, Mary, you know darn well that bathing suit is plenty modern. Well, there's no cuffs on the pants, if that's what you mean. <laughs> I mean, it's got a two-way stretch and everything. <laughs> of course, the uh, top piece is a little baggy there. Didn't that annoy you when you were in swimming? Uh, not so much when I was in the ocean, Dom, but when I took it off in the locker room, about four buckets of grunion fell out. <laughs> a policeman told me I'd either have to get my suit fixed or a fishing license. <laughs> The beach there is wonderful, though. I imagine it is. By the way, Jack, where are you stopping? In La Jolla? I'm at the La Jolla Auto Court. <laughs> it's a lovely place. Jack, that's not La Jolla. It's La Jolla. That's how you pronounce it in Spanish. Oh. Oh, I didn't recognize it in print. <laughs> I'm, uh... I'm usually very good at Spanish. As a matter of fact, I used to go with a Spanish girl. Estralita Fink. <laughs> Swell gal. Is that the one that used to duck baseballs at Ocean Park? She sold the baseball. Get it straight, will you? That's all she did. Hey, Mr. Benny, I tried and I tried, but... Oh, oh, hello, Dennis. Hello. Well, thank the boys, Dennis. Thank you, boys. Hey, Mr. Benny, I tried and I tried, but... How, uh... How do you feel, kid? Oh, fine. Good. I thought I had dandruff yesterday, but it turned out to be rice from a wedding. <laughs> from a wedding? Who got married? My girl. She's trying to make me jealous. <laughs> well, don't, uh, don't fall for it. Not me. Say, Mr. Benny, I tried and I tried. Yes? But nobody wants to buy those grunions you caught. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't tell you to sell them. I told you to clean them. We're going to have a big fish fry tonight. I couldn't sell any tickets to that either. <laughs> I mean a fish fry for our own gang. Anyway, kids, the, uh, the boys here are all waiting to hear you sing, so how about it? All right. Say, where's Phil Harris? The maestro? Oh, he'll show up. I tell you, Jack, Phil's been in the clouds all week. Well, why not? He's a daddy. Just think, a seven-pound baby girl. You know, when I was born, I weighed seven and a half pounds. You did? I weighed eight. I weighed almost nine pounds. Well, I weighed 43. <laughs> He's not kidding, fellas. The stork that brought Wilson had to make a forced landing. <laughs> Sing, Dennis. Forever. 
lagoon, a tropical moon, and two on an island. A sleepy lagoon, and two hearts in tune, in some lullaby land. The fireflies gleam, reflects in the stream. They sparkle and shimmer A star from on high Falls out of the sky And slowly grows dimmer The leaves from the trees All dance in the breeze And float on the river where deep in a spell, nightingales tell of roses and jewels. The memory of this moment of love will haunt me forever. A tropical moon. Sleepy Lagoon and Sleepy Lagoon, sung by Dennis Day. <coughs> Say, Dennis, while you were singing, I noticed something flopping around in your coat pocket. What is it? A grunion. <laughs> a grunion? Yeah, I picked the best one out for a sample. Well, put it with the others. We're going to fry them. And now, ladies and gentlemen... You're not going to fry this one. We're pals. <laughs> All right. And now, folks, I've got a very important announcement to make. You'll have to save it, Jack. Look who's here. Well, the proud father. How are you, Daddy? Hiya, Jackson. Hello, fellas. Applaud loud. The baby's listening. Yeah. Ah, that's the truth, folks. Mr. and Mrs. Harris are the proud parents of a bouncing baby girl. Well, Phil, congratulations, but you know it's customary for a proud father to pass out... Oh, yes. Come on, fellas, have a cigar. Here you are, Jackson. Well, a Corona Corona. Say, they're expensive. Have a cigar, Don? Thanks, Phil. You marry? What? No, thanks. I chew plowboy. <laughs> well, Phil's so nervous. Here you are, Dennis. Have a cigar. No, thank you. Hmm. Go ahead, kid. Take one. But I don't smoke, Mr. Benny. Hmm. Now, Dennis Day, you take that cigar. Oh, let the kid alone, Jackson. If you don't want a cigar, that's up to him. You stay out of there. <laughs> now, Dennis, are you going to take that Corona Corona or not? Okay, but you'll have to smoke it for me. All right. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, Mary, stop staring at me. Ooh. And now, ladies and gentlemen... 
And now, ladies and gentlemen, as I started to announce... Say, Jackson, I was going to bring the baby down here to watch our program, but Alice wouldn't let me. Well, naturally, the child is only five days old. My goodness. What are you talking about? When I was five days old, I could lace my own shoe. <laughs> well, the reason I know that's a lie, Phil, is because you didn't wear shoes until the day after I hired you. <laughs> I dragged your whole band over to Floorshine. Remember? Oh, yeah, it took four salesmen to hold my guitar player down. That's right, but you can't blame Frankie. He thought they were going to brand him. <laughs> and when they put the shoes on your piano player, he tried to gnaw his right foot off at the ankle. He thought he was caught in a trap. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Tuffy. What a bunch. And now, fellas, for that announcement I was going to make. It's a very important message about next season. So everybody pay attention. You too, Dennis. Okay, hold my grunion. <laughs> Put that back in your pocket. Now get this, fellas. As you all know, next Sunday will be our last performance for Jell-O. And beginning October 4th, we will be on the air for a different product. Grape Nuts Flakes. Hey, well, what do you know about Grape Nuts Flakes? Yes, sir. It? It's for the same company, General Foods, and we'll be on at the same time every Sunday night over the same network. And we'll have a lot of fun. Say, Jackson, I just happened to think of something. How are you going to identify yourself with this new product? What do you mean? Well, you always start off with Jell-O again. What are you going to do with Grape Nuts Flakes? Yeah, that's right. The Grape Nuts Flakes. Gee, I, I can't say grape again. <laughs> Or flakes again. Why don't you say nuts again? <laughs> no. No, that, uh, that wouldn't work, would it, Don? Don't ask me, Jack. You know, I'm pretty upset about leaving Jell-O. <laughs> but, Don, folks will still be buying Jell-O, and there'll be another Jell-O program. We're just going on for another General Foods product. Well, maybe you're right. I guess I'm just a little bit too sentimental. You certainly are. Now, you still have this week and next to talk about Jell-O, so go ahead. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, the next time you go down to your neighborhood grocer, why not ask him for a package of tempting and appetizing Jell-O? It's not only economical and easy to make, but with its new locked-in flavor, you will find... That Jell-O is America's favorite Jell-O Top Dessert! There we go! Don, control yourself. Don. Don't be such a softy. Oh, leave him alone, Jackson. The guy has the right to be lugubrious. <laughs> what? Lugubrious. That means sad. I know it does, and you got it right. Where'd you ever get hold of a word like that? My baby taught it to me. <laughs> Oh, stop with that. He's so proud of his child. Say, Dennis, you want to come out to the house and see the baby the stork brought me? Well, if it's all the same to you, I'd like to see the stork. <laughs> Dennis. Well, there's... No use waiting. I got to have a talk with that kid. <laughs> now, Don... Now, Don, dry your eyes... 
Don, dry your eyes. <laughs> dry your eyes either from laughing or crying. I don't know which. And Phil, let's have a band number and brighten up the atmosphere around here. Okay. Hold it. Come in. Well, I'll be a... Hey, a box! Andy Devine! Andy, this is really a surprise. Hello, Mary and Dennis. Hey, congratulations, Phil. What is it, a boy or a girl? Seven-pound girl, Andy. Well, girls are all right, but don't get in a rut like Eddie Cantor. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh, that's a pip. Say, Andy, uh, you forgot to say hello to Don Wilson. Oh, yeah. Hello, Don. Glad to see you, Andy. You, you put, put on, on a little weight, weight haven't you? <laughs> Golly, that's the second time that gag was good, wasn't it? You ought, to get a, you ought to get a load of this pair, folks. They look like a couple of barrage balloons in civilian clothes. <laughs> Say, Andy. Andy, what are you doing around here? Well, I was fishing down at San Diego, and I thought I'd drop in and say hello. Oh, fishing, eh? Have any luck? Nope, didn't catch a thing. You should have had Jack's bathing suit on. <laughs> Never mind. Say, Andy, how are your folks? Are they still battling? Yeah, they're at it worse than ever. Pa came home with a snootful the other night, and Ma knocked him cold with a welcome mat. <laughs> oh, my God. Would your father ever learn to behave? Well, Buck, I figure if they ever ration gasoline in California, he'll straighten right out. Why, Andy, you don't mean to say your pa drinks gasoline. He's gotta. He swore off a of liquor ten years ago. <laughs> what? He's working out at Lockheed as a blowtorch. <laughs> well, that's the worst yet. Stick around, Andy. Phil's gonna play a band number, then we'll go out and have something to eat. Well, I'd love to, but I gotta go now. My girl's waiting for me out in the car. What, your girl's outside alone with all these soldiers around? You're liable to lose her. Oh, no, I won't, Buck. I got her chained to the front bumper. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. So long, Andy. So long, Buck. Gee, it was good to see Andy again. Doggone it, I should have sold him a bucket of grunion. Play, Phil. sisters, played by Daddy Harris and his 18 musical diapers. 
Musical meaning what the boys think they are, and diapers meaning I'm going to change them. <laughs> Not bad, eh, Phil? That's a fine way to talk after I went and named my baby after you. What? You... You named the kid after me? Certainly. Alice J. Harris. J is for Jacqueline. <laughs> J for Jacqueline. After me. J for what? You heard him. <laughs> Jacqueline. Well, thanks, Phil. That's quite an honor. And now, folks... Oh, Camp Callan. Oh, Camp Callan. Near La Jolla. Wait a I... minute. Wait a minute, Mary. If you insist on reading a poem about Camp Callan, do it right. What's the title of it? Can't you hear me, Callan Caroline? <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> I guess that's silly enough. Go ahead. Huh? <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> oh, Camp Callan, oh, Camp Callan, near La Jolla by the sea, where Jack Benny goes in swimming and catches fish for you and me. That's right. There's plenty for all. I met a soldier here last eve who had chevrons on his sleeve. He kissed me, and I must confess, if he's not a bugler, I miss my guess. Mary, do you have to kiss every soldier you meet? Well, I'm not stuck up like you are. <laughs> what's, what's that got to do with it? Go ahead. We went walking neath the moon. I said to him, come on, let's boon. But he wouldn't even flinch. You'd think I was an oozle finch. Oozle finch? What's that? A goofy-looking bird. It's the mascot of the coast artillery. Oh, oh, I see. Last verse. Good, good. Here's to the coast artillery. You defend us by the sea. If Jacks come near, you won't be nice. Because Akak guns ain't filled with rice. You said it. Mary, that's one of the finest poems you've ever written. Thanks, Bob. Go on, go on. My daughter can write a better poem than that. Well, your daughter's only five days old. Well, I don't care. She's very talented, and when she grows up, she's going to be a musician. Well, she'll be the first one in your family. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. That's when ain't I a musician? Since any time. That's since when. At a boy, Jacqueline. <laughs> Dennis, take your grunion out for a drink of water, will you? <laughs> and now, <clears throat> and now, ladies and gentlemen, as I said before, next Sunday will be the last broadcast of the season. So for this occasion, we have arranged a special... I'll take it. Hello? Hello, Mr. Benny, this is Rochester. <laughs> Oh, hello, Rochester. Where are you? I'm over here at the Lajala Auto Court. <laughs> uh, Rochester, I found out that's pronounced La Jolla. It turned out to be a Spanish word. Doggone, I should have known that. You? Yeah, I used to be a Toreador in the washroom at the Macambo. <laughs> Never mind that. Uh, what, did you, uh, what did you call me about? I'm having a little trouble packing your bag, boss. What do you mean, trouble? After I got all them fishing, I didn't have room for your blue suit. 
What, you put those grunion in my brand new alligator bag? But boss, alligators love fish! <laughs> Only if they're alive. This alligator happens to be a suitcase. Well, just the same. Every time I snap it shut, it snaps back at me. <laughs> now, Rochester, take those fish out of that bag. Okay. Then get in the Maxwell and come right over here to Camp Callan. But, Mr. Benny, that's about a 12-mile trip, is it not? Yes. And it's uphill, is it not? <laughs> yes. Now, when will you be here? Of course, that's a mechanical and a military secret. <laughs> well, start right now, and you ought to be here before sundown. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, say, boss. Now what? I took your bathing suit down to the surf and rinsed it like you told me to. You did? This time, one of them little Jap submarines fell out. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. What did you do with the Japs? They're in the suitcase with the grunion. <laughs> nice going, Rochester. So long. So long, boys. <clears throat> well, that is news. Maybe I ought to turn my bathing suit over to the government. I think I will. Play, Phil. <laughs> Think of spring and you think of strawberries. Think of strawberries and quick as a wink, your thoughts turn to strawberries and Jell-O, one of the grandest of all desserts. Just try Jell-O's new recipe, Fresh Strawberry Supreme, and see if you don't agree. It's gloriously good and so simple to make. All you do is dissolve a package of Jell-O imitation strawberry flavor in one pint of hot water. Chill until cold and syrupy. Then place in a bowl of cracked ice and whip with a rotary egg beater until fluffy. Next, fold in one-half cup of heavy cream whipped. Then arrange sweetened sliced strawberries in sherbet glasses and pile the whipped jello lightly on the berries. Chill and serve, and you'll have one of the most delightful, flavorful desserts you ever tasted. Rich, juicy red strawberries covered with a creamy topping of whipped strawberry jello. Order strawberry jello tomorrow and try this marvelous treat. And be sure when you buy to get genuine jello. Because Jell-O gives you the extra goodness of locked-in flavors. This is the last number of the 34th program in the current Jell-O series, and we will be with you again next Sunday night at the same time. Now I'd like to thank General Hardaway and Captain Westerfield and all the boys here at Camp Callan for a swell time and a thrilling visit. Don't forget to tune in next week, ladies and gentlemen, for our last broadcast of the season. I know I will. Good night, folks. The Jell-O program is written by Mill Barr and Ed Beline and is broadcast each week by special facilities to our armed forces throughout the world. The presentation of this program from Sam Callan has been for the entertainment of the personnel stationed here and does not constitute an endorsement of our product by the War Department or its personnel. Say, have you tried those new Jell-O puddings? They're made by the makers of Jell-O, and like Jell-O, they're swell. Try Jell-O butterscotch pudding. It's gloriously smooth. A rich, mellow pudding that simply tops for golden butterscotch flavor. And so creamy and good. Jell-O puddings require no additional sugar to make. So tomorrow, when you order Jell-O, order Jell-O puddings, too. In all three flavors. Chocolate, vanilla, and butterscotch. <laughs>
Jell-O puddings are just like grandma's, only more so. The program came to you from Camp Callan. This is the National Broadcasting Company.